Hi, this is Eddie Deason, and you're listening to the Walter Paisley Movie House. Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we strive to be the best kind of terrible influence. Coming to you from Nilbog Manor Studios, our music is by Jonathan Harmon, and I'm your host, Dylan Roaring. We are brought to you by our partner sponsor, Can Can Cinema and Brasserie, a nonprofit cinema in the heart of Indianapolis. Be sure to check out their AV Club series, including a monthly cult movie hosted by yours truly. Today's guest is an artist, pop culture historian, and all-around cool guy whose art can be found on the covers of books, comic books, and the coolest magazines, as well as drive-in theaters worldwide. His books, The World's Best Artist, and Mitch O'Connell Tattoos, Volume 1 and 2, showcase his work of original creations as well as his many homages to the people and movies we love. His original design for Plan 9 from Outer Space movie, <clears throat> movie poster, excuse me, hangs in a place of honor in my living room. He has made a name for himself in the Pop Culture Hall of Fame for his legendary New York City billboard in which he cast Donald Trump as an alien from They Live, which garnered praise from the far right, such as a poor excuse for an artist and O'Connell, <laughs> I can't do this one, O'Connell is a fucking pig, go live in Mexico, you liberal maggot, and the White House has no comment. Needless to say, he's a man after my own heart. Please welcome the person who finds the coolest shit at all the coolest flea markets, Mitch O'Connell. Hi, Mitch. How are you? Well, I'm a little, I, I started to tear up during that. <laughs> and I'm putting you in charge of my wake. Okay. Whatever all that right. Comes. I can do that. <laughs> so hang in there longer than I hang in there. That's oh, your job. Oh, given family history, it's going to be a crapshoot. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, maybe I'll do your wake then. Okay. Either way. <laughs> how are you doing thanks so much for joining us thank you it's a pleasure so obviously you love the same stuff that me and our listeners love what got you started on this road can we have long pauses or absolutely you do whatever you want well i've always been fascinated as i'm sure a billion other kids my age by you know monster movies and horror and mm -hmm. All that type of stuff. Um, as a as a kid, you ran home at to get home by three thirty because there would be Godzilla week, or there would be you know similar Dracula Hammer films all time perfectly. So the kids just had enough time to get home and sit down and right. with their cereal and watch it. And I would you know bug my parents to take me to Beneath the Planet of the Apes or um, Let's Scare Jessica to Death. And back when they had that he um, that heavy saturation of TV commercials before any new you know genre film mm -hmm. came out, where like that was you know jumping at you, you got to see this film, you got to get the barf bag, you got to blah 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 <laughs> blah. I was all on board, and it was always exciting because you there wasn't that much of a hype besides the ads you didn't really know what was going to be coming out i remember going to day camp on the bus and there was a local cinema that had six screens so they would change the marquee on either thursday or friday but i know pressing my face against the bus window to see what the new films would be and they'd be like you know willard's coming out or wow. you know escape from the planet of the apes and i you know get my family to drive me there when i would have my 50 cents or 75 cents mm -hmm. whatever it was to see a film so and i'm sure i go along every cliche where i would buy creepy magazine eerie famous mm -hmm. monsters i would watch um sir graves ghastly when i lived in michigan along with the ghoul and just glued yeah. and i would send my art into sir graves ghastly and i don't know if he actually showed my art on screen he would show like just hundreds of kids art and i either yeah. i dreamt that he did or he really did but i'm going to pretend that he really did sure that was pretty exciting and um then in chicago we have svenguli which i still watch with my um nine-year-old so the tradition continues so it's always been what is this wonderful mysterious intriguing forbidden type of <laughs> film that i have to see i have i i'm drawn to it like a you know yeah <laughs> something so did you grow really up intriguing did you grow up in the detroit area um i grew up uh, in new england and then we moved to ann arbor okay at some point because my mom was going to the university of michigan okay so we would make excursions 
to the um, Detroit Art Institute, and that's mm -hmm. where they have a big theater. And I remember they, I was first exposed on the big screen to the Universal monsters because oh, cool. they played Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein and the Wolfman. And again, memory, my old feeble memory, their um, their big hook was they would charge a 10 cents to see the films. And it, my mom would take me out there and was just like, I'm so thrilled to be seeing these these masterpieces yeah. on the giant screen. Did you ever get to attend any where I know that sometimes they they bring out the stars at that time to try and promote them as they do them? Um, and it was usually, you know, the older stars would go do it just to make the money. Um, Lugosi did it for a while in the 50s. Um, and so on did you ever get to attend any of those kind are you asking me if i saw lugosi in the 1950s well no i know you didn't see him in the 1950s you were born if in so, the 60s this wrinkle so. cream is working amazingly well no, i think he I, was long gone by the time you were born but <laughs> i know what you're talking about because i've i'll buy old newspapers and save the ads and it says like um um like jim kelly is appearing for right you know, Five Fingers of Death or whatever film yeah. he was in at the Chicago Theater or the Chinese Theater, on and on and on. But no, I didn't get to see that. I okay. mean, of course, I see them now when you go to the horror conventions right. or, you know, you, you see a lot of the stars are often coming to your local drive-in or cinema mm -hmm. with their fan favorite film, which is always a thrill and always fun. Yeah. But so no, I didn't get to experience that in a big theater. Okay. So you're you're growing up, your parents are kind of enabling this fascination, which is always awesome to have parents that right. are into that. Were they into it too? Or was it just, okay, you go get this out of your system, maybe? <laughs> I I I think they were just indulging yeah. their their child. Because <laughs> I loved it. And of course I was always drawing those, you know, vampires mm -hmm. and spooky things. I was copying panels out of creepy and eerie magazine. Mm -hmm. Because I thought I would always be a comic book artist, so that's yeah. and my dream was to draw for for Warren. And years later, at the near demise of Warren, I think they had a year left before they closed. I got to I would make um, trips to New York as a like sixteen year old or seventeen year old and stay with um, family friends, and I would just run my portfolio all over town. And one time I got wow. to go to Warren, and Unfortunately, it wasn't the time where you had your cell phone and you would document, you know, every meal and everything you saw every two minutes, because I would have loved to have taken snapshots and, you know, have a memory of who I actually met at Warren or yeah. gone to the Captain Company and stared at all the products you I used mm -hmm. to you know, oogle in the back pages of Warren magazines. But they were very polite, but I didn't get any Warren work. So you were pretty ambitious early on. You knew this was what you wanted to do and you were going after it. Yes, I, I'm i not going to repair your car. I'm not going to rewire anything. And my skills are limited to drawing. Yeah. So I <laughs> I had that like drive to make a living as an artist and I had no other backup plan. So when you have those two <laughs> things combined, you either are living in a box mm -hmm frustrated or you make a living at it yeah so as you were on that journey I, I mean even as a teenager the the disappointment i know can hit when you're showing these things around and uh at any point did you stumble did you stop and think you know maybe this isn't going to work maybe i should look for something else or were you just like i am going to make this happen that's funny because i was always showing my Work. I was always um, mailing samples into Marvel and DC, and I still have my rejection letters. I would send awful cartoons to the New Yorker. Mm -hmm. I would make these trips to New York and just, you know, go to Esquire, um, New York Times, where whoever, because I'm you're some when you're young, you're blissfully ignorant. Yes. So I would just cold call. A kid would cold call these <laughs> magazines and say, I'm in New York. I want to come by and show my portfolio. And you'd find out they would have drop off days, like mm -hmm. maybe it would be a Wednesday or a Thursday. And you drop off the portfolio. And again, being ignorant, it's, it's being ignorant is something I carry on to this day, but probably even more so as a, as a youth. I only had one portfolio, so I would drop my portfolio off and just 
twiddle my thumbs, but luckily yeah. I was in New York, so I would, and speaking of taking pictures, I would bring my camera with me mm -hmm. and go to 42nd Street and all the movie theaters there and see things like Return yeah. of the Living Dead and other films, and I would bring my camera in the theaters and photograph a whole bunch of stuff to oh, document cool. that wonderful CD area, because yeah. when you saw, even in Chicago, when you're seeing films, these were beautiful, majestic, stunning theaters that were in complete disrepair. Mm -hmm. I'll digress for one second. Like I remember seeing, brought my camera into the Chicago theater to see um, uh, Hellhole and Jimkata, wonderful double feature. Fuck yes. <laughs> and I would watch the 40 other patrons that were scattered about the 4,000 seat theater. And they would, on my left, they would jump out of their seats. And then a little further toward the middle, the next seven people would jump out of their seats and on and on. And it turns out there were rats. rats. The theater. <laughs> and I actually got a photo of one of the rats that ran past my seat. So you learned that to, um, you would not leave your pants. You would make sure your pants were tight so uh. that that rat would not run up your pants, which is the most horrifying thing. Like in movies, the snake always goes up your pant leg. Right. Same with rats. You don't want that to happen. So it's usually your, yes. So every movie was like a William Castle film. Exactly. <laughs> so as I go back to your point, um, disappointment, I was showing my work endlessly and I, I was just, the, the mo it just seemed I was in the rhythm of showing my artwork and not getting any work. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really think beyond that. And then I went to heavy metal one day and they gave me work and I was just flustered because I it never occurred to me that someone's going to give me work. So I was I was tongue tied and and pleasantly. So I got over that after a while. Yeah. But yes, it, it's funny because I just I remember that moment where what I'm getting. Uh, huh? Was it I, scary? I compute getting work. Was, was it scary? Were you like, oh, shit, what do I do now? No, no. Now, they, now they're expecting things. <laughs> well, I think with the heavy metal one, I had a painting in my portfolio of a um, angel sitting on the moon, or a cloud and a devil in the picture, and then mm -hmm. they bought that to use as a cover for heavy metal. Oh, cool! And the funny, or I'll say it's funny. We'll see if you go along with it. She said, "How much do you want for us to print this cover?" And she said, "I'll. We'll tell you what. I'll pay you." I'll pay you 500 bucks. And I said, fantastic. <laughs> and then she looked down like she was just had a rubber temple. She said, no, I say 500. Then you say a thousand. <laughs> and then we settle on 750. <laughs> so she was very polite to hold my hand during the bargaining process, knowing I was a novice at this yes. type of business dealings. <laughs> Well, you locked out. You found the one ethical person in publishing. Right. Oh, I, everybody's been real nice. I have no complaints. That's great. That's great. So I'm obviously that had to have been exhilarating, and not only that, uh, the yeah, cover, it felt like a hot shot. Yeah. Because I mean, as an artist, <laughs> I, it's great. I think I had just started going to um, the School of the Art Institute or the American Academy of Art, and since I always wanted to be an illustrator. Half the thrill, I mean, the goal of everybody was to get published. You wanted to be sure. published, 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 published. So once I started, once I had like a heavy metal credit under my belt, it was like, boom, mm -hmm. now I'm somebody. So did doors start opening for you then? Were people more receptive to you as you came through? My art must have got a little bit better because I've been, I was, I started making a living full time while I was going to art school. Wow. So I just left art school figuring I could just learn as much actually doing it because I lived in Chicago at that point, mm -hmm. and I still live in Chicago at this point. A lot of um, places to get work at were in the um, Chicago area, like the Chicago Tribune, the Chicago Sun-Times, mm -hmm. Playboy magazine, advertising mm -hmm. artwork. So I was doing at least like two drawings for the Chicago Tribune. I was doing... I've probably done a, at least 200 paintings for Playboy and mm -hmm. the Sun-Times and on and on and on. So I was keeping pretty busy. And 
it was great because I also remember my rent was like 195 a month for my studio wow. apartment, which also, I mean, I was thrilled because it was my own place. Of course, it had no water pressure. It had no <laughs> heat. It had cockroaches. It had mice. I would turn on my oven in the morning and the cockroaches would run up the back of the wall once the heat was on. But those, again, being a kid, not, that doesn't bother you. It's like, how many can sure. I kill? That was the exciting part. Right. <laughs> I would not want to go back to having cockroaches in my, my apartment. But no, I was, I've been busy. I've been luckily blessed to be busy forever. Absolutely. And I'm sure that was being in art school and I, I, for me, I remember coming out of college with a theater degree, already having a job in theater. I had mm -hmm. it while I was in college, and that it's such an anomaly with that degree to get a job in it right away. Did that stir some jealousy among your fellow your your fellow students and things? Oh no, everybody was was cool with it. Everybody, awesome. Everybody, I think, not that other students weren't getting published. Sure, here sure. and there too. So we were all just inspired like it was more of like it was more fascinating like that mm -hmm. you i remember talking to others like uh, a friend of mine mike science who was a year or two older than me he was published in warren so i i wanted him to describe like everything every detail what what are this what's the front door like at warren how many <laughs> stairs are there to their office door you know who did you you know on and on and on and then i you know you it was just it was. I think it was so fascinating. There wasn't time for any of us students to be irritated at anyone else. It was yeah. like, this is exciting. This is like more we can learn from. That's great. Do you regret leaving school at all? Is there any time where you look back and go, ah, maybe I should have finished that or? No. Good. Cool. <laughs> I, unless I wanted to teach, then I would need some type of degree, but that would be right. like going for a master's. And yeah, yeah. Who knows? So as you were getting this commission work, you're doing work with magazines. I'm sure it's a lot of, hey, we need an ad for, I don't know, whatever was big at the time. And you're you're doing that. You're also doing probably your own stuff and mm -hmm. starting to explore that world and kind of hone down your craft. Were you still trying to find your voice as an artist at that point? Were you trying to figure out what you were trying to express? When you're a beginning artist, at least with the groups I hung out with, you have to, um, you have two priorities. One is to have a cool signature. <laughs> and the second is to have a style. So you're all worried, what's my style? So I would just grab things I liked. Like I would um, try to copy Bernie Wrightson, or I would try to copy Barry Smith, or on and on and on, and or uh, J.C. Leindecker, just all these wonderful artists. And I would, of course, just get the surface I mean, I wasn't learning what was underneath all that style, right. but I was like sticking on top of my own work. And eventually just your own stuff keeps rising to the top and mm -hmm. your style comes comes naturally. And because some artists, they seem to come out of the box like, boom, I'm drawing this way and they draw this way forever and it works wonderful for them. And they nail the style at, at 16, they're drawing mm -hmm. as they're well known for. I was all over the place and I still am all over the place depending on how I feel like doing a job. But I have, I think my, my basic style is that kind of illustrative fifties or sixties people yeah. connected to that, that type of clip arty comic yeah. booky um, vibe. It's and interesting. I try to be wacky and different and interesting with that really precise type of drawing. Yeah, it it um, obviously the pop culture influence behind it, you make it unique. And that, the reason I was asking about your voice is because it is very unique. I think the the only close comparative I could have to you would maybe be Drew Friedman. And even that's not a good comparison. Um, mainly, it's just subject matter that I would mm -hmm. compare it to. His is his is completely foreign to what you're doing. But um, it, it's obvious that that fascination with Tor Johnson and um, just that whole milieu of B movie wonder, right? Had a huge influence on you. Yes, because being fascinated with films, especially 
the oddball ones and the monster movies mm -hmm. uh there are only a few film books at least that i found way back when i was you know 14 15 16 there was the um golden golden turkey awards mm -hmm. the um, 50 worst films of all time there were like the films of Abbott Costello, the films of you know yeah. Buster Keaton, those big those collections, and maybe uh, film review books. I forget the um, I can see the cover in my head, but it was like Le the Leonard Maltin books, yeah, before Leonard Maltin. So I would mm -hmm. read those like I was reading a book, just like reading through every <laughs> review because it was all fascinating. So yes, I love those references, and I love yeah. goofy, weird, bad horribly kitsch but they weren't bad because they were so they had such a unique vision mm -hmm. that you didn't forget them bad would be something you're that's forgettable like yeah what's the point of it these had creators behind them that were just had their own way of doing something that no one else did and they got it on screen and you know they were going through hassles and troubles and no money but they did it and you have only can admire someone that does it because everybody else can talk about what they're going to do, but mm -hmm. some people, even with zero resources, get it done. Yeah, and it's it comes up a lot on this, just that that idea of commitment to making something so singular. I mean, there's mm -hmm. there's never going to be another movie like Plan Nine. If you try to make Plan Nine, you're going to fail, and it's going to be unwatchable. It yes. takes that passion of the filmmaker to create something that original and on such a low budget. <laughs> I know I occasionally stumble across films that are in that wonderful plan nine tradition. I remember seeing um bird Demick. Yeah. Yeah. On the big screen at the music box theater with the director there in person. <laughs> and it's just, it was so wonderfully skewed, but never dull. Every, like everything you're wondering what? Yeah. <laughs> what just like a 10 minute scene of one character walking for 10 minutes but he walks in such a unique funny way and it never ends and you're going it's genius it's yeah some, some only this director could have done that and it was so, yeah. it was so good we last well, weekend making scene but the 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 um oh yeah the female star her feet are completely black under on the under like can't you and it's like, it couldn't be any other way. I'm so happy that you must have been walking on the dirty floor before this scene for a few yeah. hours and just not blocking underneath. This is like wonderful touches like that. We had the opportunity last weekend to watch the latest Neil Breen film on the big screen. And it was oh, my... he's, uh, yes, speaking it, of I mean, wonderfully... singular. There's nothing like what he does. And it was my first time getting to see one on the big screen with a crowd. So it was very exciting. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's the same. It's 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 Neil Breen. He takes this very seriously. And it's the perfect blend of ego and incompetence that creates this unique film that is just beautiful to watch. And we just and had you a were right before because people that are trying for that type of wackiness, it doesn't it always work. Fails. It's only people that have a really important vision to them mm -hmm. that they have to get out of their system. Yeah. That's and when it, it comes off. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that that's really indicative of those 50s films where it was still a fairly new medium for a lot of people, but becoming more accessible all of a mm -hmm. sudden because of television, because of industrial work. So you had people like Ed Wood and then further along Herschel Gordon Lewis, who was a commercial filmmaker who used his industrial equipment to make really bad exploitation films that are delightful to watch. Um, yes, I, I, I'm sure I've seen all of his films. Maybe I missed a few of the mm -hmm. more exploitation ones, just because I haven't got around to it. But one of his films, Five Thousand Maniacs, I think that's a two thousand. That's a, a two thousand maniacs. Yeah, I got excited and I know I get it. You got to go up by maniacs. three. <laughs> <laughs> you got me all revved up to be on this show. Um, that's a masterpiece. That film absolutely is too good. That's the acting. I don't this just everything about it is top notch so yes he hit a four star one with that and the yeah. rest are more of the just crazy wacky yeah nonsense. That... i think when he cuts the breasts and one's chocolate and one's <laughs> you know white milk it's like oh <laughs> goodness gracious yeah uh... the other but 2000 maniacs is actually terrifying and amazingly well acted 
and it's so well acted you feel like you're it's almost a documentary yeah it is it, it's one of the i i just showed it a couple months ago um i show movies monthly at a bar here and i showed that one recently and it it a whole new crowd who'd never seen it never experienced of course the discomfort with all the confederate flags and and everything else going on people were like uh. and then as it went on you know it's a surprisingly progressive film to be made mm -hmm. in florida in the 60s um plus it's got the the locals that are in it my favorite moments are there's a, a lady she shows up throughout the film and she can find the lens of that camera every time and like there's a point where the mayor's giving a big speech and you see her behind him like here's the mayor's face and she just peeks out and looks right down the barrel of the lens and it's just a wonderful moment you're not going to get anywhere else <laughs> i know i sympathize with her because my friends have made some films and i got to be in them because mm -hmm. i'm free but that and i, I was thinking i'm going to be the next will Ferrell because i'm hilarious and what just watch me blaze a new trail of <laughs> you know, working, I'm going to be a triple threat actor, artist, blah, blah, blah. And I could not stop staring at that candle. It's just like, it's hypnotic. It just draws you in. And then I realized that was, we all realized that wasn't my calling. <laughs> so as you're getting more and more into these movies growing up and then videotapes come along and you're mm -hmm. able to get access to things that you weren't able to get access to before. What, what started attracting you in films? I'm so happy I lived when I did and I'm still living <laughs> that you got to experience like each level of seeking things out. And I'm happy that people now have everything restored, Blu-ray, re all the scenes that were cut out, put back in again at, that's a wonderful luxury and everything at your fingertips. But back then, like slowly discovering things and the yeah. hunt and getting like crappy copies and third mm -hmm. generation VHS tapes and then getting better. It's like it kept going and going and going. It was like so much fun just being and learning about new stuff and yeah. and having it all ready, having it all out there now is great too, because you can track everything down. But I enjoyed going through the process i got to go through and maybe you got to go through it too yeah it comes up on this program a lot that the idea of that now everything's so accessible it's almost become disposable where i can go on youtube and watch a few scenes from 2000 maniacs and go oh i get it but you don't you really don't get it until you have to you know trade your copy of you know, Godzilla versus Megalodon with some dude on the West Coast who's got 2000 Maniacs who sends it to you on a taped over VHS that yes. is really shitty quality. And that's what you watch. Um, that, yeah, the thrill of that hunt and finding. And I know for me, when you discuss, when you got something like that, you just sat and took it all in. You didn't like watch three minutes of it and then do something else. You Start around on your prepared. phone while it's on. Yeah. Right. And you really like um really um search for these films they were playing at a drive-in you go to the you if it was like an all-night dusk to dawn show when it's the third feature you had to see yeah. you go there and see it or yes exactly or and of course films even before vhs um you saw it in the theater or you never saw it again you yeah. maybe wait for the abc sunday night movie <laughs> to see air um airport but that was that was about it you see it yeah. or you don't see it mm -hmm. so when you started finding these things and you start, especially in an area like Chicago, where you've got resources that I didn't have in Southern Indiana, but you were able to find those shops that had the more obscure stuff. Did you start finding this network of people? I, I had my own little network of weirdos that I dealt with in Louisville all the time. So did you start kind of building that little transom? Oh, definitely. There was the, um, like this, uh, sub genius, um, organization mm -hmm. was here which is like you were saying, they would show films on the bar at the, I mean, on the TV at the bar. Yeah. That's when you uh -huh. would see them, you know, 15 feet away from you. If you would look up, <laughs> you could look at the 12 inch screen to see, you know, some Ed Wood film. And there was also the um, Psychotronic Film Society mm -hmm. um, in Chicago. So they would say they would get access to the, the copies. And, and of course, when something weird got a little bigger you get yeah. you know buy all this something weird and that was i remember way back in the beginning i would buy like industrial films or the vd films but 
and I forget what company put him out, but I know you'd have to spring out for like 60 bucks or 40. Yeah. It wasn't cheap to get these things. Mm -hmm. And of course you get the dubs from your friends and on and on. I, I remember I was going through my pictures and there's a picture of me with like a hundred tapes that I've labeled and three TV sets and wires going from here to there. So I could be <laughs> duping my tapes while taping something that was going to was playing right at that time. And then also planning to record something at three in the morning. And only my brain in my twenties could figure that out. Cause I know <laughs> I would never be able to do anything like that again. I have a stereo in my basement that a friend of mine hooked up and I go down there and I can't get sound to come out of the speaker. And I know I never will. It's beyond me. <laughs> so those are fun times. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> but that is, I, I had uh, Michael J. Weldon. I just interviewed him recently from Psychotronic Magazine. And his was magazine. the Bible, the, oh, the Psychotronic Magazine. And it's his my books. Bible. And he came to Chicago when he was touring around, like showing The Maze and a bunch of other films. Yes. <laughs> That is the other, the first edition copy. I mm -hmm. my the pages are falling out because I read yeah. it so many times. So he opened everybody's eyes to yeah, so many wonderful things. Because you had no idea of the backstory of any of these films or what else the director yeah. made because it wasn't listed anywhere. I right as a kid, since I was so nutty, I subscribed to Variety so I could just <laughs> like, see the film box office and uh -huh. they would have the industrial ads for films that were announced or films that said they were being announced but they were uh -huh. just looking for investors so they never really came out but they showed a lot of i mean that was like my conduit to like whatever's happening behind the scenes yeah wow along with psychotronic <laughs> and the like yeah. mm -hmm. when did, where did you discover your first psychotronic do you remember well i bought the book mm -hmm. right away and didn't the magazine started after the book yes there were well the it's a weird order. Yeah. The first. Oh, book, no, no. Because he published was... in New York and he published in the Xerox that yeah, stayed together. The, yeah. And I, yes. I did not get that because I didn't like zine New style. York, yeah. New Jersey area. But mm -hmm. I did end up buying all the back issues off of him. So I had mm -hmm. the, you know, the complete collection. Yeah. At it, some point. As you were I, I'm collecting all of this stuff and you start building this. I don't know what to call it, a world of wonder um, of, of all these things that you really dig and you start to learn more and, and explore more. How did it affect your art? Well, I always like when I go to flea markets, I now I just take pictures, but I used to like buy a lot of wacky stuff because I figure I can, I want to incorporate this crazy imagery that's around me in my art. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the big eyed kids, it's the, the wacky, like it ties to all of pop culture because you get something so strange. You wonder that's mass produced and you wondered, you wonder the sales pitch. You wonder who said, OK, we the world needs this and then who manufactured it. And because it's just like, what is going on here? Just like mm -hmm. the films you and I enjoy, you wonder what is going on here. So and along so the same thing held true with films. It's just these crazy, wonderful monsters. Like I just drew, I just, um, every year I make a, a Halloween costume for um, Flashback Weekend, which is a horror convention in Chicago. And they have a costume contest, which is hosted by Spinguli. So I think the past six years, I've made a costume for my, who now he's nine, but I would make a costume for my son. And he, this year Third he was- epic. Um, they're epic. I follow you on Instagram and they're oh, great. Thank you. But he was Tabanga or mm -hmm. Tabanga, however you pronounce the big tree monster's name, because that was one of those films where like this tree monster um, is maybe walking at a yard per year. So <laughs> unless you throw yourself at him, he's not going to get you. And even when you throw yourself at him, I don't know how he kills anybody. <laughs> because <laughs> he just stands there so it was, it was all fascinating so i try to i like that wackiness and weirdness and just mm -hmm. out of this world nuttiness that i try to stick in my own stuff yeah as you as you've gotten further along in your career and and really i mean i met you at a few conventions and i've seen the stuff you've been doing there 
Was I nice or was I an asshole? Oh no, you were great every time. Okay. Yeah, great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've you've honestly. Been I great feel every after time. I sign out, you're gonna like talk dirt about me. Oh no, no. Okay. Usually yeah. it's after I've met Tom Savini, so the bar for asshole is really high. So I, you're good. I keep hearing that, but I <laughs> I only met it. Well, first of all, I met him at a convention, and it, I'm just like, wow, because Tom Savini was like. Sure. If he's doing something on a film, you are there at the 9 a.m. show on yeah. Friday to catch it because, like, <laughs> I forget the film, but some guy shoots himself in the head with a shotgun. Maniac. Prowler, I think it was. Oh, Prowler. Prowler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I got to be there. I got to <laughs> see what Tom did with that head. And um, Aiden was Robot Monster that year. Yes. So Tom Zavini came out from behind his chair and took a picture. He Very said, Can cool. I take a picture? I said, sure. And then I said, can I get a picture of you two together? He said, sure. So that's my only interaction. That Very he just cool. Liked. So He's I actually know. always been great with me, but I've seen him be a real prick to people. So, oh, <laughs> But um, as, as I met you at these conventions and I see the stuff you're displaying, the colors are just popping every time. And it's it, almost like that oversaturated where it reminds me of like a, a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. Yeah, the um, right now I'm trying to before I go before I go to the great beyond, mm -hmm. and I spent like forty years doing commercial art along with always doing my own stuff. Mm -hmm. But I've been trying to not accept work that other people want me to do because I can. I'd much rather do my own work because I have a probably a thousand illustrations in my head that I like to get out, and I'm very slow because. Mm -hmm limited time and i'm very meticulous i guess yeah. we'll, we'll put meticulous as a nice way of saying slow <laughs> or i do it wrong the first 10 times and the 11th time it's like i give up and that's yeah. going to be the end result <laughs> but now so i'm doing screen prints with screwball press in chicago steve walters is the, the gentleman that does a fantastic job with with screen prints and it's fun because i do 50 of each image i come up with so they feel more like an actual piece of art, but I can mm -hmm. make 50 of them. And since it's screen printing, um, he uses fluorescent inks that react under black light. Yeah. And once you start using fluorescent inks, you can't use regular inks. That's crazy. <laughs> so I, of course, I want to move on to, you know, do flocking next just to make, I want. Cool. Because I'm in my artwork, everything, when you're like between the ages of maybe seven and 14, everything that makes an impression stays with you till the end mm -hmm. of time because it's all this new world and especially when you're peeking at things maybe you shouldn't be seeing or things that are a little weird they're like they're going to be there forever so i'm yeah and like i remember you walk into a head shop when you're like 10 and it's like something's going on here and you look at the comic books you never saw those comic books before yeah. and there's i know i don't remember a comic book about a leather nun <laughs> new to me but you know you shouldn't be looking at it and all the great posters and the like so yeah i'm just putting my own spin on it but regurgitating my favorite things yeah in my, my art nowadays when you were watching those black and white movies as a kid were you visioning them in color were you being impressed by okay tor's eyes are white but they're glowing were you, were you kind of getting those kinds of images in your head as an artist? Are you asking me if I was on drugs as a child? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Sure. Why not? No. No, but no, I don't think I made that jump. Okay. I was, I think of that plan nine. I've got that one and another one of your posters next to each other. Of course, I have a black light in front of it because why not? Right. Um, but looking at that plan nine one, especially, I, I, a lot of it jumps out at me as like, that's how I saw it. <laughs> this is oh. the poster that was meant for it. Um, yeah, that was it's... a fun poster to do because the actual poster is kind of dull. Yeah. yeah. So that was fun to put my own spin on it and mm -hmm. make Vampire nice and big and stick Tor in the space suit. In the little space helmet on Tor. The wonderful stars. <laughs> that was, I... I felt like that was a poster that I needed to do because it should have been. Yeah. <laughs> well i um as far as what you are doing i know you are very busy well you're a single dad and you're you're doing that 
And I know you're uh, like me, you part of a very, very unfortunate club of people who are, became single against no fault of their own. Um, for myself, when, when I lost my wife, it was, it was a good year before I kind of came back out and kind of found myself again, you know, you're starting your life over and it's, it's terrifying and it's, you're sad too, on top of that for you, when you got hopefully by now a little bit more on the other side of that, um, has it, have you noticed a difference in how you interpret things as you're drawing them? Hmm. And if this is an uncomfortable subject, we can skip oh, it's right not past a, it. It's okay. uncomfortable, but it's um, it requires me not giving a glib answer. So I have to actually okay. think for a second. <laughs> so if you would give me this question a week ago, Take. I could have brainstormed about it. Um, I, I try to do things that are um, positive because mm -hmm. I figure if I'm... Um, I'm not really here to bellyache or whine or do something that's mediocre or mm -hmm. I'm here to try my best. And those are the goals you attained. I mean, those are the goals you, you, you wish for or strive for that. You're going to bring something better while you're here. You're going to, whatever you bring to the table, you're going to make it the best you can. So your contribution is a benefit whether it's just a visual benefit or someone's maybe inspired by something you do, or you have, you try to throw in positive messages. And so I think just, you know, through, you know, everybody has multiple tough times and you realize also your time's limited here. So you you strive for being the best you can and you strive for making um being a positive person that does positive things great answer i dig well, that. <laughs> or, or babbling one of the other no no it, it made sense i mean that's the thing it's not it's... that and i'm saying not that i've suddenly i'm on the mountaintop where i'm doing all this i'm saying <laughs> that's what i i aim for yeah not that I've attained it. Well, if you attain it, then what's left? Sure. So <laughs> I'm just being modest. I knock it out of the park every time I do anything. I mean, you are the world's best artist. So so they say, <laughs> and by they I mean me. So let's talk about your books a little bit. So you you've got three out on the market, three major books. Your uh, world's best artist, which is a collection of drawings and posters, and then the two tattoo books. What kind of inspired you for the tattoo books let's start with well i'll start way back when um speak because being published is the thing mm -hmm. and so i did a fanzine like i think starting when i was 14 called Lollapalooza, and i did five issues of that where i would just get other people to contribute or find articles i liked and reprint them and put my own art in there my own comic strips and that was self-published where i would you know, get a, a, but anyway, they were self-published. Then, um, since I'm always throwing myself out there, that's one way that you have to be an illustrator or, or an artist or anything creative, you have to constantly be making people aware that you exist mm -hmm. and constantly hitting them on the head with it. And the other half is delivering good work. Um, so I would always send out mailers and back in ancient days, it was easy to find art directors and art publishers because it would be like listed on the masthead or they'd be, yeah. you could call up and ask. And so I would always send up flyers, postcards, on and on and on. And I decided I should just publish a book of my artwork because postcards would be thrown in the trash. But a book, right. at least would be the inclination is to put a book on a bookshelf. Mm -hmm. You don't throw a book away. So I um, self-published a book called um, Good Taste Gone Bad. And again, back in simpler times, there were um, like three book distributors. So you could mail them your book mm -hmm. and they would list it in the catalog and people like record stores and comic book shops would order. So I think for my first book, I printed up 5,000 copies and 3,000 were ordered to be in shops. So it was 
and the rest I mailed out to art directors. So I started getting a lot of work and that was a lot of fun. And then I self-published a second book called um, Please Love Me, spelled P-W-E-A-S-E-W-U-V. <laughs> and I think I went traditional with the me, it was just an M and an E. <laughs> I wasn't, my creativity only lasted two of the three words and I petered out right at the end. I should have, see, I should have tried harder. And and then somehow I convinced a real publisher, last gasp, mm-hmm. that they, that let's put out. A, oh no! First, I did a, a book of tattoo designs for last gasp. Okay. So I fooled them by having that book sell well. <laughs> and once I had them on the hook, I said, "Let's do a book about all my art, and let's make it three hundred pages. Let's make it full color. Let's give it a puffy glitter um, wraparound cover." <laughs> And they bit it, they bit. And so I did it. And that was a lot of fun to write because you mm-hmm. it's fun um going through your own artwork. It's fun putting it in order, it's fun sure. writing about it because I enjoy writing. So that was a real treat to do, and I'm still happy with that book. That it's a beautiful book. It's and I have that gorgeous. book came out um like eleven years ago. So now I have the itch to do a, a second one. So we'll see. I was I about can. to ask, okay. Yes. And then um, I'm sure it sold medium. I don't think it was a big hit, but I'm really, again, happy with it. There's plenty of stuff I do I'm not happy with, but I was happy with the book. And then I did another book of tattoo designs for them, too. Mm -hmm. And I assume that sold as well as the the first book of tattoo designs. So Last Gasp are wonderful people, and I'm endlessly appreciative that they – put out three of my books so hats off to them kudos to them god bless them i'll be putting links for all of them on the bio for this when i release it so we'll we'll have and a funny story which keep under your hat the world's best artist book it was printed on like this plastic stock that started to disintegrate so it got like a little sticky sometimes oh wow and i found that if you spray a crystal clear coating over it they um the stickiness is gone and it's nice and slick again but no one at the warehouse where the books are kept is going to buy a case of clear coat spray right and spray all my books for me <laughs> so i bought a, i think the last thousand books off of last gasp that are and i'm probably down to 600 by now because what i did was it's a 35 dollar book and i just cut the price to 20 because I much rather have people have it mm-hmm. than me have it. And so I sprayed them all. So it's nice. It's not sticky anymore or off putting and they can buy it from um, directly from my Etsy store mm-hmm. and I'll sign it and do a little sketch in it. Great. And your minutes. signature is top notch, by the way, speaking. Thank I know you. you said that's the first thing that an artist has to get down. It, is well, a it went through one. a few different changes and it ended up on this. Plus it's easier to sign things when it's only three letters. Yeah. so we got to talk about the billboard because it's a great story just just run us through it it's um one of my favorite things ever i've been so (laughs) it's so fun to have along with this like the endless also enjoyable projects we're just illustration and drawings and drawings and paintings it's fun to have bigger projects going on too like I've done things like an art car demolition derby where we decorated the cars up and smashed them to bits. Um, I put on shows for like the um, the ghoul in mm-hmm. Cleveland twice. And that was a childhood dream that you could Very actually cool. see the guy in person that you stayed up till midnight to watch. So it's always fun. to. I'm always thinking of I have other ones down the pipeline I'm working on now. But that was wonderful because it was so organic. It was, I was doing a poster for a 24-hour movie marathon that takes place in Chicago called The Massacre, and they were going to show They Live. And as I was drawing one of the John Carpenter characters... What year was that one? 2015 or 2016? I think my girlfriend went to that. Oh, it was... I'm pretty sure she did. (laughs) Okay, complete tangent. Sorry, go back to the story. (laughs) So at that moment... I don't know if Trump had it had come down the golden escalator yet, or if I had only seen him on Celebrity Apprentice. Mm-hmm. And I had no particular opinion about Trump. He just seemed like a 
lovable blowhard that was full of himself, and I found that amusing. And those were good days, harmless. weren't they? <laughs> it was just silly, and I, I, my guilty pleasure was watching um, Celebrity Apprentice because I got such a kick out of it. And I, I, you could see how he responded to people kissing his rear end, mm -hmm. and when he, I remember when I'm going on a billion tangents as we speak. Right. I remember like the all the celebrities meeting in one of his hotel rooms, and he said. People say this is the most beautiful hotel in the world. Just how he talks about like these mysterious people. <laughs> you know, it's no one's specific. It's always people, these these people, or a you know, the guy with tears in his eyes came up to me. So I'm saying I had no, I was not displeased with him because mm -hmm. he was a TV personality and didn't no skin off my nose, but he had that wonderful hair. Right. So I thought as as an illustrator thinking. Okay, I could just draw the they live character, the end. But you wanted, you want to try to bring your game up, like make it funnier <laughs> or more interesting. So I just stuck the hair on him because it was funny, mm -hmm. and I had him doing, you know, you're fired finger gesture because that's how I thought right. of him as the you're fired guy. Right. And so they used it as the poster. But then he started running for office, and the like the portrait of Dorian Gray started to just become more and more real and mm -hmm. people started to i wasn't throwing this art at anyone people were gravitating toward it mm -hmm. and this is a once in a lifetime for me because i don't have that happen right at all but this piece just took off and i thought i mean i i put it on t-shirts i was mm -hmm. having fun you know using it on this and that and i thought wouldn't it be fun to have it on a billboard and so I started thinking of a GoFundMe where I wanted to be in Washington. And, and you can find political billboards now, but time changes rapidly. And, and yeah. in 2016 or 2017, you couldn't get a political billboard up anywhere. They just weren't having it. Mm -hmm. And I found out in Washington, there really aren't billboards. Sometimes they have like space on the side of buildings you can use. Right. So I pitched, I was looking anywhere, Chicago, uh, New York, on and on to find a place that would put up this billboard, the, um, the They Live billboard, and no one mm -hmm. would do it. And luckily, I have a friend um, in um, Mexico City who I'd done a, a gallery show for at the Vertigo um, Gallery. Because he thought, wouldn't it be fun to have it in Mexico? This is when Trump was making the big brouhaha about he hates everybody in Mexico and all Mexicans right. trying to get over here. They're, they're the ones responsible for all the problems we have in the world. Mm -hmm. And so for three grand, I think I raised three grand. It was a billboard off a major highway in Mexico City. And you know, I have footage of people filming it when they went by. But I think when you have... It was like a wonderful trifecta of it's in Mexico City, mm -hmm. it's they live, <laughs> and it's Trump. I, I you know, I, it was like three lightning bolts hitting and starting a, a fire because I hadn't gotten so much press in my life. That was mm -hmm. in every newspaper in the world. And after that, since I was so cocky and full of myself, I'm going to try back to New York. Mm -hmm. And I think someone else had broken the ice with a couple of political billboards by then plus my billboard i know you gave the quotes earlier which were hilarious which i loved it's you know i'll go back to that in a minute but some people thought it was pro-trump they didn't know because i would right that's ask, what was beautiful you, about it are you for or against trump because i i can't tell if i want to be angry or happy about it and you know i i i left it up to them to figure out if you <laughs> I mean, if you really want to figure it out, just look at any of my social media. You'll kind or, of get, or you know, watch they live. Or watch they live. Just, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold your hand and cuddle you while I explain things to you. Plus, it's funnier. It's funnier yeah. just seeing people all mad because they want someone to tell them how to think before right. they can figure it out on their own. And that's a rarity. I mean, people think just fine. They don't need me weighing in on telling how to think. Like <laughs> I know it all. I was getting a little pompous there for a bit. <laughs> so, um, and I had no idea how much billboards cost in New York, but they range from like 60,000 to, you know, 8,000. Mm -hmm. So I got this 
I found out for uh, 12 grand or 14 or I forget what it was, I could get this really gorgeous space in Times Square. And you're going for, you want people to understand what you're doing in two seconds. And if you say Billboard, right. New York, Times Square, it's like, I get it. Mm -hmm. You don't, you can't rattle off a suburb in New York. They're going to, hmm, where's that at? Yeah. But Times Square, <laughs> we all know where Times Square is. So that was, that was wonderful. That was a big kick and people really enjoyed it. And it was a lot of fun. And to get those awful reactions, awfully wonderful reactions, mm -hmm. I would, because on Facebook ads, this is the only time they benefited me. You can select your group. Yeah. So you pick people with interests like, you know, what, you know, they, I love Dukes of Hazards and <laughs> keeping guns in my secret basement. You pick that group of people. And when they, when you blast that on their page, you're going, what is on my page? You know, go back to Mexico. You, you know, they were, so if I do a, if I, well, I'll, hopefully I'll do a second book. Cause that's obviously a chapter, just the venom. Wonderfully yeah. hilarious. Like I would just pray for misspellings. Please misspell every other word. Beautifully. So much funnier. The one where the guy was, calling you out for violating copyright c-o-p-y hyphen w-r-i-t-e <laughs> too good or people thought you know yeah the copyright because i think he said does the owner of nightmare on elm street know that, that you don't you know that's copyrighted <laughs> so just to let them go off it was it brought joy to my life <laughs> But also, I remember when I, right before the billboard, this is before people were, people get more insane by the week, sure. unfortunately. And yeah. it's mind-boggling because I don't get it. But my son, Leo, said, make sure you take Chicago off. Make sure you leave. Don't have your address on Facebook. Don't have this because it was a real yeah worry. He was more worried than I was because I was thinking it's just all funny. That's mm -hmm. how I go through life everything's funny he was worried you know people would actually do harm yeah so it was good advice because i had the only thing i left up was that i like grew up i i spent time in boulder colorado as a kid mm -hmm. i remember some guy like going on a rant i'm like i'm gonna find you in boulder you know keep you can look Jesus. in boulder all you want for me i'm not <laughs> great look there some other, <laughs> there's probably some other bald guy that dressed them black that's been beaten with a baseball bat right. <laughs> hopefully not but so it was it was wonderful because like we're talking about films it just how it just grows and you little by little this just grew on its own it wasn't me forcing it on anybody's throat it wasn't mm -hmm. me trying to promote it it just grew on its own and it was a fun ride and i was never more happy that during the last election i retired it because I had milked it long enough. Yeah. And speaking of doing pot, I, because that, if I thought my art would make it a difference in an, in a, in um, politics, I would do something. But it would it makes zero. It's just fun. It made right. no difference on any level for anybody. No, it didn't change anybody's mind. It was just nonsense right. that amused a bunch of people or outraged some other people. And mm -hmm. when you outrage someone, you're happy as an artist because. People took the time to look at it and people took the time to have a reaction. But after I retired that drawing, uh, after Biden won, that's why I'm sticking to breasts, beasts, and nonsense. Yep. Just fun, <laughs> joyful imagery that, that might amuse people that like the same things I like. Yeah. I it was a beautiful thing. And I think I think that you're right. It's it served its purpose perfectly. Yes. Um and I, I did really enjoy, I, I had, um, when I, I bought some art from you, I, the proceeds I know were going to fund that. And you'd given me a little postcard with that image on it. And I had it up and I remember a member of my wife's family was very disapproving and mm -hmm. didn't know the movie at all. And was, he, he knew my politics, but it was, it just delighted me that it irked that person so much. Right. So, <laughs> Oh, and I have, I have relatives and and friends who saw politics differently than I did. And I just, you eventually learn that we'll just skip this subject and enjoy the things we enjoy hanging right. out together and not yeah. <laughs> play in the mud with that one. Yeah. 
So you do have stuff. I know. I mean, you're constantly having stuff coming out. You've got. Um, you did the artwork for the John Waters Filthy Weekend for Mahoning, which is that's going to be great, gorgeous looking. That was fun because a shorthand of doing art sometimes is doing a parody, mm-hmm. where, and it's fun because people get it right away, and it saves you a lot of thinking time. Mm-hmm. And I think the quote is, um, I'm going to misquote it. I think um, flattery, uh, imitation is a sincere form of flattery. Mm-hmm. But apparently the second half of that is that the that the mediocre um, pay to genius. Okay. And people forget this. And I'm not saying it correctly, but it's basically saying you're a hack copying someone really good because <laughs> you can't do something really good. Just to <laughs> whittle it down to what it means. And not that I don't do obvious parodies. I still mm-hmm. do, but I tried not to do it. Try not to go with my first re- first um, inclination. Mm-hmm. But with those, I was trying to do something different with John Waters stuff. And I know John Waters is a William Castle fan. Mm-hmm. So that's why I tried to copy um, uh, The House on Haunted Hill. And yeah. I saw what you did and turn them into like Pink Flamingo type of posters. Yeah. So it's fun milking something that I don't, I don't see many William Castle movie parody posters, so no. So that was enjoyable <laughs> to do. If you want to put a twist on it, like the like the hair on They Live, you want to put a twist mm-hmm. when you get to do a John Waters poster. And I've been sure. wanting to go to the Mahoning forever because it it I'm gonna, I would almost said it seems like, but it's obviously a mecca for anybody that can get there for just every night they go all out. Yeah. It's like a it's, it seems like Burning Man every night at the yeah. I've never just, been. It's a bucket list item for me. It looks fantastic. It, right. I had to wait till I like, had to be there. If I'm mm-hmm. doing the posters and John Waters is there and I'm going right. to be vending there, I'll drag my sorry ass 12 hours to do it this time. <laughs> so I'm really enjoying that at the end of the month. It should be a lot of it. That, will be it looks time. great. It's going to be very cool. The artwork right. is amazing. What else? What else do you have coming up? Just like I said, those thousand screen front ideas, I got to draw them all. One thing I'm working on, um, there are ways I love advertising in just that old school Americana way because people are just gravitate toward them. That's why a billboard gets much more of a reaction than it should because mm-hmm. a billboard is like, it seems like a real thing. It's not an ad, in a, it's not an ad on TV or a magazine or anywhere right. else. Ads are, but a billboard is just a solid thing with, on plywood with big posts sitting in the mm-hmm. land that it, it it draws you right at it. And so when I advertise myself, I advertise in things like I advertise on uh, my favorite um, bowling alley. I advertise on their score sheets, and I was advertising on drive-in screens. I have this very cool of. Honk if you love drive-ins and a bunch of monsters, you know, mm-hmm. sitting in their cars, because you want to make your art um, uh, interactive. So mm-hmm. it wasn't just an ad; it was an invitation to everybody in the audience to start honking, because everybody's favorite thing in the drive-in is watching that hot dog and bun have sex sure. and start honking your horn during that. So <laughs> my next big project with a friend of mine who's a film editor is going along making something in that intermission time style but animating that big scene where you start out with honk if you love drive and then it pulls out to see all the different crazy characters at the mm-hmm. drive and you know pulling out and out and out and making that into like a, a one minute film that i would just give to all the drive-ins and say cool. please enjoy playing this if you want because Doing art for galleries, I'm not the type of artist where anybody's waiting for me to do a gallery show where, mm-hmm. where all the art's sold before it goes up. I'm not right. like a shag where I do a, a piece that everybody wants to own. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm more of an acquired or niche taste. So when instead of devoting all my time to doing something like a, a gallery show or just hanging out my art somewhere, I'd rather do uh, an art project that is just out there in the world. and my favorite part of the world is things like drive-ins. So mm-hmm. doing something that I can just, you know, please have this, enjoy it. It's your audience might enjoy it. Just 
Very cool. It's yours for nothing. My gift to you. <laughs> Please have fun with it because I'll have such a thrill if it gets played. That'll be my yeah. gallery show. Our no, our our local drive-in, uh, the Skyline in Shelby County, just over from Indy, that does yes. the full Monster Weekends, all Equally, that stuff. Equally, just like the Mahoney, they are doing. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm kicking. Well, with my little nine-year-old, I can't just because it's a three-hour plus drive from right. my house, yeah. and it would be like an overnight thing. But I really wanted to be there for um, Dracula vs. Frankenstein. Yeah, I know. Be the star in person, and I'm seeing pictures, and I'm just. We had a gig last night, so we couldn't go. I was like, oh, he's going to be there. <laughs> no, because I still remember buying that copy of Famous Monsters of Filmland with him on the mm -hmm. cover. I mean, I remember, like, speaking of how images are burning your head and that having that tangible uh, magazine in my hand with him yeah. on the cover. It's like, a, it's like a, a pot of gold had landed in my lap. It was such a wonderful experience. Very cool. <laughs> but I didn't, can't do it. So Yeah, I, no, I get it. I get it. Uh, I mean, I'm 20 minutes away and I couldn't make it. So, yeah, I oh. get it. <laughs> well, Mitch, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, guys, check out his artwork if you haven't yet. Surely listeners of the podcast have seen your stuff. Um, but thank you so much for what you're giving to the world. Quite honestly, I, I think you're meeting your goal of making it a better place and and making people happy. <laughs> Well, at least me if i if i count for the entire population then it then yes so and i'm going to say you do count for the entire population okay there we go folks so i'm going to agree that i've made the world a better place thank you entire population and you are the world's best artist so thank you thank you thanks so much for your time no it was my pleasure it was a real treat to be here i thank love you. your your show and it was very nice of you to thank you to get me to be part of it thanks thank you have a great time at uh, the Mahoney. I look forward to seeing it on your social media. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye-bye. Mitch O'Connell is a very cool guy. Great artist. Great person. Be sure to check out his Etsy store. Check out if you're at a convention and he's there. Stop by, say hi. Check out his art. Buy a piece from him. Uh, this is going to be my last one for a while. I don't have anything in the bank, and I don't have anybody lined up for interviews. Um, so it'll be a bit before you hear from me again, but you will hear from me again, hopefully soon. In the meantime, get out in the world. Do your thing. Have fun. The holidays are coming up. Go grab a drink with friends. But take care of your servers, because it's the Walter Paisley Movie House, and we do not piss on hospitality. Later, guys. <laughs>